of course, that theme music could only mean that we are going to get around to talking about the Olympics with our in-house expert, former sports broadcaster, well, I guess continuing sports broadcaster here in Radio <laughs> Parallax, Sean Minton. Welcome back, so Sean. So now let's see. I'm the baseball expert, the football expert, the rugby expert, the Olympic expert. Soon to be equestrian, I hope. Will you're, you send me to something where I can see Mitt Romney's I, wife's horse jump or whatever? I didn't know about dressage, but you can certainly, if you Big can put dressager. that hat on. In fact, I edit the, uh, the the publication here in Sacramento, Dressagers Monthly. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, just you're constantly amazing us with these with these sorts of feats. Oh, I know. The resume is as long as it is wide. <laughs> the NBC paid $1.18 billion for the rights to televise the games. Just this one? I guess so. Oh, my gosh. That is a lot of money. I hope they got every... Well, based on what I saw with the ratings, they, they, made, they made a lot of money on this. The highest rated Olympics in a long time. Well, there's been a backlash. Some people, this didn't please everybody. Uh, the Week magazine published some, some blurbs from people... Uh, like, for example, uh, Emma Keller, writing in The Guardian UK, said, I can forgive NBC's tape delay, but not its provincial pro-American chauvinism. The nightly telecast focuses almost entirely on American athletes, especially those with heartwarming personal stories that can be dragged out into gauzy mini-features. There are 10,000 athletes in London representing 204 countries, but if you watch NBC, you'd hardly know there's more than one team competing in the Olympic Games. First of all, that is a terrible British accent. Yes, it was. Secondly, yeah, I mean, there's there's no argument. That's exactly what we do as Americans. We like our, our entertainment spoon-fed to us, and that is exactly what NBC does during the Olympics. They Before the Olympics starts... They they find their heartwarming stories. They oh, yeah. well, I think, I think you just write the script and fill right. in the guy, right. fill in the athlete, yep. to, you know, for the heartwarming. Yep. And I'm, I'm watching. I don't know about you, Sean. I'm watching, and they on a couple times. I'm thinking, of course, this competitor had been raped during her youth. <laughs> when I'm like, wow, that's that was just the, way more information yeah, than we need. That's the judo gal who. No, was, no, no. This oh, was this in was addition different. to the judo gal. Oh, so that was the someone theme. else had been raped. Yeah, I know they're trying to get the human interest story about how Joe Blow had to overcome adversity by, you know, a lot of times he, while he was training for his dressage, the waiters were quite snotty, <laughs> and, and the Clams Casino was frequently overcooked. I, you know, I don't, you know, it's just, they make a soap opera. I hate to, once again, let everybody know how old I am, but <laughs> I remember watching the Olympics in the 70s, and to Rune me... Arledge. Yeah, Rune yeah. Arledge and, and, and the, the stuff that, that happened with the Israelis and the Palestinians in Munich in 72, and... I, you know, I kind of sort of remember all that stuff. And, and the nice thing about the Olympics back then is they actually put the Olympics together so that guys could enjoy it. Mm -hmm. The way they put the Olympics together now, the, the women, the, the female audience is so important to NBC. I don't know if you noticed, lots of gymnastics, um, yeah. lots of equestrian events, lots of rhythmic gymnastics, you know, lots of whatever it is, everything well, to suit the female audience. And I got to the point where I just... I pretty much gave up on the Olympics after seeing the well, the little four foot two gymnast bounce around for about 15, 20 seconds. I'm like, you know what? It's, I want that to be like stock car racing. If she's going to be on that balance beam, I'm only watching to see if she falls off. God. Otherwise, I do not care. You are a guy. Uh, well, yeah, I suppose you agree with this letter here from the B. We might quote from Patricia Opfer from Elk Grove wrote the B to say, enough. Beach volleyball. <laughs> oh, no, no. I disagree with that. <laughs> I'm not a bad person. I just have a person who's sick and tired of seeing 30-somethings in their briefest of brief bikinis running around the sand. One night, not bad. Two nights, well, okay. But NBC's shown beach volleyball way too much. Well, the gals that won uh, the gold medal the, from the U.S., this was their third consecutive Olympics winning the gold medal. Which so, is hard to do. 12 years ago, they were probably, you know, I mean, 
if they look okay now, imagine what they look like 12 years ago. So I can see why they would want to continue to show them. And that's quite a feat. I mean, to win an Olympic gold in three consecutive Olympics, that's pretty incredible. Yes, indeed. And I don't know whether you caught the uh, grandiose start they had to this thing. They threw everything in that but the kitchen sink. Yep. They did that at the end, too, you know, where they brought in... um, they brought in people that I've never heard of to sing Beatles songs and Who songs and and Floyd songs. I just, I, why do they have to bring in kids to sing, you know, the greatest rock tunes of all time? The only time a kid should be brought in is at the beginning of You Can't Always Get What You Want from the Stones. <laughs> Other than that, you know, I don't want to see a 12-year-old trying to pull off Lennon or McCartney or Elton John or any of these guys. Just, you know, if the original artists aren't going to do it, then just skip it and and you know if you want to go right to the the world famous I'm, I'm trying to think of anybody right now in england currently who's even in terms of pop stars I, I i can't really think of anybody so that's kind of why they always have to go back to the 60s and 70s because there's there's nobody there that's singing these days i guess it's nice to know that even the even the british can who generally have good taste can put on a show as as gaudy and unquestionable <laughs> as the halftime of the Super Bowl. Well, the, the, I guess the thing that's most amazing to me in the 15 or 30 seconds that I actually spent watching the Olympics <laughs> is the fact that, you know, in this day and age that we live in with terrorism and all the things that are going on, that something didn't happen. And each Olympics I watch, I, it, you know, it seems to me that that countdown gets closer and closer to the point where, you know, something bad's going to happen like at Atlanta in 92 Although things are much more scrutinized now, and you've got the the Secret Service for England, they're they're called. They've got some numbers and whatever the they MI5, are. Whatever. So yeah, so I mean they've got people there watching all that stuff. But when you think of the millions of people, thousands of athletes, all these different venues, all the subways, all the different ways that someone could really make a mess of that, the fact that the thing went off without anybody getting hurt that way is a miracle. And I just think as we move forward in future Olympics, that that little window of, of safe Olympics is going to get smaller and smaller. Eventually, something's going to happen. Oh, I hope not. But Maybe Rio. Go Rio. Well, talking about human interest stories, I got one item we have to t- talk about. I think that the Olympic, uh, the Jamaican bobsled team certainly captured Oh, I remember that. They had a mo- Disney made a movie about that. Yeah, they did. But yeah, Cool John- running. Yeah. How about that? Well, I got an item here. Apparently, there was an Olympic rower from Niger who had sat in a boat for the first time three months <laughs> before the Olympics <laughs> became a cult hero. Hamadou Jibo Isaka was handed a wild card. I don't know how that works. A wild card to compete in the, in the men's rowing, despite hailing from a landlocked country that's 80% desert. So I guess he finished next to last. So I guess someone was even behind him. So yeah, that, that person actually fell out of the boat into the water and eventually <laughs> drowned. Otherwise... That guy probably would have got dead last. Oh, pardon the pun. Sorry about that. And and they, they made such a big deal about the Saudi Arabian woman. And it was like, I remember the, the, the coverage was like, she finished 30 seconds behind the pack uh, in like like a 1,500 meter, which mm-hmm. is like, if it was a marathon, she'd have been like, what, an hour behind? Yeah, that's like me. Hey, look at the look at the, the, the little guy, the 50-year-old from America. He's finished last in the hurdles. Big, you know. But the, the problem with the challenge with NBC is they do all these little, you know, they do all their little vignettes, their little two or three-minute feel-gooderies. Yeah. And then if that person, like in the, uh, in the gymnastics, the U.S. had a, um, one of the gals who was supposed to win the gold in the overall, and she ended up not even making the finals. So what happens is, as soon as that, as soon as they do their their feel goodery story, and that person doesn't make it to say a medal round, they don't know what to do at that point because the person that they featured and basically uh, thrown all their hopes into right. in terms of featuring, if that person isn't in there, all of a sudden that event 
you know, takes takes a backseat to something where maybe things are working out the way NBC wanted it. Well, maybe they could maybe they could cover somebody from Kazakhstan back in the Rune Arledge days. I remember they would they would show people from like other countries and yep. feature them. And I don't yep. you don't see much of that. Yep, I don't. But I don't think that's NBC's fault. I think that's our fault as Americans. We're so ethnocentric in terms of. Uh, it just seems to me more and more we could care less what's happening with the rest of the world. And I think NBC just picks up on that because I bet you there are far more interesting stories in Kazakhstan or right. some of these other countries. Even, you know, it would be really cool if somehow we could get into Iran and see how they're trained, you know, and just kind of see, you know, that they're real people, that they train, well, that, that, that they have those kind of, the of things. To bring people together, yes. not have a medal count of we yep. did better than the Chinese, did better yep. than the British, better than the Russians. Yeah, but we did win USA, USA. <laughs> That is what it's all about. Well, I mean, that and, and Doug, that all goes back to amateur versus professional, too, and the fact that yeah, you know, now it's you've NBA got professional tennis gold. players, yeah. you've got NBA yeah. players, uh, you've, you've got people that, you know, that aren't just, they're not, they're not the person who works at the grocery store who trains on the weekends and they get up at five o'clock every morning. Right. I mean, most of these people are pampered and they go to the Olympic Training Center in Colorado and uh, just so much of it has gone in terms of amateurism versus professionalism. And I know... Um, from what I've heard, they're going to do at least one more Olympic uh, with a professional, at least with the NBA guys. And then they are considering revisiting that. But, you know, when you see LeBron James and Kobe Bryant and Carmelo Anthony and all these guys going out and just kicking the crap out of, you know, um, Ethiopia, right. you know, where they're just happy. To, you know, they right. just want to go get a meal after this thing <laughs> is over. And these guys are, up, you know, they're up in the four seasons somewhere. To yeah. me, it gets pretty ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, there's some events I, I, I didn't. I didn't know they existed. Uh, there was a thing in the B here. Haley Anderson just misses open water gold uh, from from Granite Bay. I guess she did better in some other event or something. She in open water. Yeah, they have a basically open water swim. They do. They oh, mention oh, here, oh, I see what she's uh, six point two miles. I guess they do ten k in the water. Okay, okay, I that would be fairly grueling, I would imagine. Yeah, that might be one of those events they could shake it up by putting alligators behind them or something. <laughs> make it make it more viewable. You know, I don't know why water polo doesn't have a better following. It's a great sport to watch. Uh, and and correct, congratulations to the Croatian national team for winning yep. gold. Yep, I won a lot of money on them this year. <laughs> but uh, I don't know. It, it seems like a chance for, for lesser-known sports to come to the fore. But instead, they, they, they give you a lot of, you know, swimming and, yep. and running. Well, you know, how often, seriously, in your everyday life do you think about rhythmic gymnastics <laughs> and the uneven bars and the pummel horse Really, what cracks me up about the Olympics is every four years, we get a chance to see how these malnutrition, you know, these 13-year-olds who have been doing this all their life, they, they get that like two minutes in the spotlight. Tomorrow, we'll completely forget about gymnastics until Rio de Janeiro. So I guess it gives them a, a little bit of a, you know, it gives them that bump. A couple of them you're going to see on a Wheaties box. Yeah. You know, they end up touring a little bit. Right. You know, they'll, they'll come to the, what is it, Power Balance Arena now, and they'll they'll do their little thing. But I, I think too much attention is kind of put on those sports that we don't really care about. Once it's, once it's out of mind, it's out of mind. And I agree. I mean, ridiculously enough, I actually agree with your water polo assessment. What most people don't realize is except for the goalie, those guys never touch bottom the entire time they're out there. Can you imagine... How hard that would be to do all that swimming and and never being able to touch the bottom for I think their quarters are six or seven minutes long. They have four quarters. I mean that is now that is a feat. Granted, jumping on a big pommel horse that's not moving, I'm sure that's grand too. But you know, trying to think about sitting out there for an hour, hour and a half, and just having to to float and swim and do anything but touch the bottom. Otherwise, you're disqualified. 
I think that we should see more of that. And maybe, but maybe I have to say, maybe a little bit less synchronized swimming. Oh, I, I could, I can deal with that. Unless, <laughs> again, why don't we make it interesting? We have a category for, say, blind people. We have a category for, say, um, divorced people, where they would have to do something in sync like that. See, that makes it interesting. I just have to me. two words for this: weight belts. I like it. And then you could actually have divisions, the 10-pound weight belt division, the 20-pound weight belt division. I think division. that would liven up things considerably. <laughs> I like it. That's an excellent idea. I also want to congratulate um, Davis's own contributor, Scott Welts. He finished fifth in the 200-meter breaststroke, which was quite quite respectable. So congratulations that's, to Scott. That's apparently the toughest stroke in all of swimming, too, from what I understand. Oh, good that Lord. Is, you ever tried a butterfly? I mean, I, I couldn't do I it. I can't even catch a butterfly. How could I swim 100 <laughs> meters doing a butterfly? That That's way beyond my means. There was also some criticism, I don't know, just bounces off you, that there's so many swimming events that a Michael Phelps can go out and set an all-time Olympic record for a number of, uh, of gold medals because he can do the 100-meter this, mm-hmm. the 200-meter that, the 400-meter individual relay, yep. blah, blah, blah. Yep. So a lot of swimming. Yep. And don't forget the shooting events, too, that he probably didn't enter, but those are also <laughs> swimming events. Do I, they even cover those? I, I would like to see more shooting events, frankly. They, if you, uh, you would have to go to, like, Bravo or MSNBC. Yeah. If you, if you kind of went outside the realm of NBC and went to some of their sister stations, you actually could see some of that stuff. You could see some of the shooting stuff. You could see some of the archery stuff, which I think is kind of cool, especially because the Hunger Games is so popular. <laughs> I suppose the archery, that's why archery has become so popular. But some of that stuff is actually kind of cool. And I mean, those are true amateurs, and those are the people who have the regular nine to five or whatever, and they just kind of do this for right. fun and for the competition, and they don't expect to make a living doing it, but they're out there just trying to do embody what the Olympics were all about. Yeah. I want to bounce this one off you. Just your comment on Usain Bolt, the world's fastest man. What's funny about him is when coming into these Olympics, he'd been beat. Uh, there was a, another gentleman from Jamaica who had run a faster time than him this year. There was uh, the guy Gay from the U.S. who thought that he could beat him. And I think what, what Usain Bolt has going for him besides a lot of charisma is I think he actually set himself up so that – he put a little bit of doubt in every. Or I guess he 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 gave other people confidence to think that they could beat him, so they started getting a little cocky. Mm-hmm. And then with the 100 and the two meter, the 200 meter dashes, he basically said, "You guys are idiots," and just went out and smoked everybody. And I give him a lot of credit for that. And again, Do you doing think that, that was kind of a Muhammad Ali kind of uh, yeah. manipulation of the public. Exactly. It was all. It's all very mental. And to do that two consecutive Olympics, um, you know, that's eight years. That is a long time. Or I guess four years, depending. Yeah, it'd be four years. Sorry about yeah, that. Yeah, But still, but in the, a in sprinter? The, yeah, exactly. Exactly. And it's something that we may talk about in the future. There's actually, when we talk about sprinters and why they're so um, popular coming out of Jamaica, there's some pretty interesting things Well, around, yeah, I mean, Jama- the, one, the one team from Jamaica fin- finishes, you know, gold, silver, bronze. Bang, yep. bang, bang. Yep. And they did great in the relays. And, and they, they, you know, a lot of countries specialize in certain things. And, and that's kind of their strong point. That and rum, that's about it. <laughs> You know, we don't have time to really go into this in any kind of detail today, but I do want to refer our listeners to a fascinating uh, BBC documentary featuring sprinter Michael Johnson addressing an issue people are very uncomfortable with, Mm -hmm. why it is that black athletes, and specifically not black athletes, but athletes descended from slaves, Mm -hmm. in the case of like in the Olympics, you see this in the Jamaicans, the Bahamians, the the people from the United States, why they are such unbelievably good sprinters. Right. Right. Well, and I don't know why why racism has to come into it, uh, especially the documentary that you're talking about takes a very scientific view. It goes back in time. It's it's a, it's a very well done documentary. And, and the problem is 
the way our society is now is it's very difficult to even explore that topic without being called racist. Uh, Michael Johnson, the, the the guy who basically put the uh, put this together for the BBC and goes back and looks through his lineage and finds out interesting things. I mean, when you think about it, the the folks when you when you find and I didn't even know this before I saw the documentary, but the journey to get from there to here and how strong you had to be physically and mentally, really only the strongest survived. And and one statistic that, that Michael Johnson brought up was only 50% of the, the people that they tried to pull over from Africa actually either made it to well, Jamaica got, or made it to the well, United 50 States. 50% got it to the port to be put on a slave right. ship. Then once right. on a slave ship, the, the mortality rate varied from 50 to 90%. Yep. yep. Then once here... It's, it makes people very queasy to talk about it, but they talked about how you know they were breeding individual to individual, mm-hmm. and how obviously the person who was a very strong physical specimen commanded a higher price, et cetera, et cetera, and Correct. that this is obviously a partial explanation for what you see in every Olympics. Yep, it's inconclusive. I mean, the documentary, at least the part I saw, is only like forty-seven minutes long. I don't know if that's the whole documentary or not, but I mean, it doesn't flat out say yes. It doesn't flat out say no. But what it does do is it, it opens it up for discussion in a way where where I think people can actually have a discussion about it. Like you and I can talk about it and I'm not going to say you're racist if you say this. And hopefully you're not going to say, well, you're racist if you think this. It's just, it it really is almost, it's almost a fact at this point, especially considering everything that these folks went through just to get from there to here. I understand too that, uh, again, genetics plays a role in athletic performance. I was quite stunned to note that they're showing the marathon, as they always do at the close of the Olympics, and there's three East Africans. Mm-hmm. In this case, a Ugandan one, but followed by two Kenyans. Mm-hmm. And, and, and from what uh, my understanding is, there's some, there's some valleys in Kenya where a guy can come in out of the hills, run a world-class mile time, and they'll send him back to the hills because he's not quite good enough. Yeah, and a lot of times they don't even have his shoes on when they're doing that kind of yeah. stuff. I mean, it, it's one of the things, going back to the documentary, when they asked the Jamaicans, you know, why why do you feel like you excel in sprinting? One of it, one of the things was it brings attention to our country, mm-hmm. and it puts us on an even keel with white people. That's mm-hmm. a direct quote from one of the runners. Right. So when it comes to Kenya, I'm sure it's the same thing. Is it's It's something, when you think of Kenya... You think of marathon runners and long distance runners. When I went to Washington State back in the late 80s, we had a fabulous track team and we had a large population of Kenyan runners who did all our 5,000 meter runs, our 10,000 meter runs, our marathons. And that's why we were so good. It's not because we had great sprinters or pole vaulters. It's because we had, we were Pullman, believe it or not. Pullman, Washington was one of the first universities to, to kind of see that talent out there and pull them in. And it's, you know, a lot of people are catching up, but for a long time, we had great track and field because of that. Well, one thing we did not see much of uh, this time around was uh, a lot of uh, steroid or doping uh, scandals. I guess there was one uh, uh, woman from Belarus that got disqualified, yep. but otherwise it looked yep. like it was cleaner than most. You would think that, Doug, but, but remember how I told you that the uh, um, that the Kings are were you know that that stadium was not going to be built, and how I was a soothsayer there. <laughs> yes. The, here's the challenge: is these designer synthetics have become they're just so good at being able to mask these things. I guarantee you that there was a ton of doping going on. I, you know, from the from the cyclists to the sprinters to the swimmers. You know, I'm not going to name names because I don't know. But I know that you cannot perform at that level with those speeds. I mean, look at all the world records that well, are continuously as, broken. What about the gal from from China who broke the women's swimming record in in that in that category by five seconds? Five seconds, she beat a world record. 
And before that, she was an average swimmer at best. So you're trying to tell me that China has not figured out a way to get these synthetic drugs into the system without being detected uh, when somebody can I, break a world record by five seconds? I have to admit, I'm looking at the cover of the B here. It looks August 11th that shows the, some, of the, some of the gals here on the, I guess, the 400-meter relay. These, I look at it, I, I wrote in the, in the margin, steroids, question mark, because it's like, <laughs> look at the muscle tone on these women. This is yeah. very suspicious. Yeah, I mean, they... There is no doubt that these people work their butts off. They are dedicated to what they're doing. All things being equal, though, they're... But her upper body is extraordinarily right. muscular, and then you're not, you're not running those out in the, on, the, on the track and field. Right, right. And then, of course, her small testicles should give it away, too. <laughs> we did have that conversation on another show, but we'll, we're going to save that one for later. Well, this has been fun. We've only got a couple minutes left. Any, any other events you want to cite or things you want to go over? I think my favorite event was the quarterfinals and semifinals of the women's badminton competition, <laughs> where each team was purposely trying to lose because they didn't want to take on the wait, Chinese wait, team wait. in the next round. Were both sides trying to lose? Yes. I didn't know this. Yeah, and the people in the crowd were booing. They started walking out. Uh, there were eight women who got kicked out of the Olympics for basically for poor sportsmanship, all because they didn't want to. They knew they were going to get their butts kicked in the next round. So because of the way badminton's set up, it's kind of a round robin type thing. It's not one and done. Uh-huh. Both teams were serving long. They'd hit the shuttlecock into the. I mean, it was so obvious that the audience was booing. And wow. let's face it, these people know nothing about badminton, but right. they could figure out that each team Boy, was trying to dive. So there's the Olympic spirit. That was probably my favorite moment is is listening to the the background sound of everybody booing. It was pretty funny. And what I liked the best was people were coming forward and saying, well, it depends on how they set it up. You can't blame these gals. And it's like, well, yes, you can. Yeah. I, well, I mean, it's their coach. I'm sure somebody is saying, hey, look, if you win this, congratulations, but you are going to get thumped in the next round by, I'm not even going to try to pronounce names, but obviously they, but they both knew their fate and they just decided to throw it. What's funny is it wasn't even one side trying to throw it. <laughs> that it was both funny. sides trying to throw that it. That would make it pretty obvious. Yeah, it was very obvious. So that was probably my, my favorite moment. Well, just one final thing. I know that in, the, in years past when we had a strong boxing team, all you saw was boxing on the mm-hmm. Olympics. And I guess, mm-hmm. I guess we didn't have a strong team because you didn't see a whole lot of it this time. That is a, you know, you just hit on a really good point. Again, going back to like the 76 Olympics and the 84 Olympics in Los Angeles. I mean, you had the Cubans with great boxers. You had the Americans with great boxers. You had the Russians with these weightlifters that could like lift up VW buses. <laughs> I mean, you just, you, you, and, and that was kind of the whole good and evil thing going on too. And I'm not a big boxing guy, but when you look at George Foreman, Sugar Ray Leonard, uh, some of these guys that, that came out of the Olympics and went on to fantastic careers, you just don't see that anymore. And the other thing you don't see is uh, American boxers are awful. And part of that is probably just because MMA has become so popular and mm. and because there are so many weight cat. You know, I mean, if uh-huh. you've ever looked to see all the different categories in boxing, there's the WBA, there's the, the WNBA, there's the BMA, there's the BMX, there's the... I mean, there are so many different divisions that there's no unified champ. Like Muhammad Ali and George Foreman fighting for the unified heavyweight championship of the world. Nobody does that anymore. There are so many belts out there that you can't keep up and nobody cares anymore. Oh, my God. Pay-per-view. I mean, the only pay-per-view I would watch right now um, would probably be Meriwether against um, Manny Pacquiao. That's the only fight that I would pay money for right now. Anything else I saw would not pay a nickel for it. Oh, are you partly motivated here by the cloud of suspicion over that last decision that took place? Well, that was Pacquiao and, again, somebody whose name I can't remember, where Pacquiao clearly won the fight, but they gave the belt to the other guy. 
And the thing is about Pacquiao these days, I don't know how he got into boxing, but he's a born-again Christian. So after that fight, even though he knew he won, he went up to the guy and, and congratulated him and said something about a rematch. So as soon as he said that, again, people thought, well, this entire thing is fixed. He just wants another rematch, more money. And since the last time I checked, uh, Mayweather was in prison, <laughs> it's probably going to be a while before the two of them actually get together. And by the time they do, it's not going to be as attractive of a fight because they probably should have fought about five years ago. Huh. So that's that's just my little two-minute synopsis on why boxing is not as popular in the Olympics as it used to be. Well, we're still continuing to ramp this up to a close here, but, but we're having so much fun. Uh, any, any comments on the Mexican team winning the Olympic gold in soccer? I say congratulations. Now, that's not my only comment, but congratulations. <laughs> the one thing about uh, soccer in the Olympics that I think they do do right is you have to be younger than 23 in order to be on a soccer team for the Olympics. So you can't bring in the Beckhams of the world and uh, some of these, you know, that's why Brazil and Spain and these these countries, that's why they're not winning gold medals is because you have to be younger than 23. And I know, hmm. I think that was the first time that Mexico had ever won a gold medal in soccer or ever won a gold medal or now that can't be right. When you go out there and, and they truly are amateurs, maybe soon to be stars, but they are complete amateurs. So I, I kind of applaud that and a lot of people you know, get sick of that because if you're gonna if you're gonna bring in NBA players and professional tennis players, why not let the Beckhams of the world and and Ronaldo and some of these guys? Why not let them come in and play? But for for soccer, you know, it's it's the World Cup. Everything is the World Cup, just mm -hmm. like in tennis. It's Wimbledon. It's the U.S. Open. And so the Olympics does not have the same allure for those types of sports where there is already something that's bigger than the Olympics that goes on every couple of years anyway. All right, well, Sean, you'll have to come back on again soon, and I want to thank you for bird-dogging a, a, a guest we're probably going to bring on the next week or two, which is, I guess, your father-in-law. Yeah, that's nepotism in action, isn't it? sure it? is. Actually, he's a pretty interesting guy. My father-in-law has uh, two two PhDs and a master, and he, you know, he's got all these things after his, his last name, so I don't call him doctor, but everybody else calls him doctor. Yeah, he wrote a book, uh, it's been almost a year ago, but it's starting to get a little bit of buzz on you know, it's a little off the sports topic, but it's it's mostly a book about self-reliance and how, how we as a country have we're becoming more and more dependent on the government, becoming more and more dependent on other people. And the book talks about getting back to a sense of self-reliance, which I know is a shocker for a lot of people, but it's actually a pretty interesting book. And I think you'll you'll get a kick out of him. He's a really bright guy. He's got a good sense of humor and you know, I think you'll have a good time with him. He's got a lot to say about this kind of stuff. And he's a guy who uh, um, lived in Elk Grove for a long time, and now he's like one of those crazy people that lives down in Arizona in the middle of nowhere. So he'll be a real interesting conversation, I guarantee it. I hope so. Coming to Radio Parallax sometime soon.